Let's turn together to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and if you don't have your Bible, feel free to grab the blue one from the rack in front of you. I believe our passage this morning is on page 1232. I encourage you to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you remember, if you were here with us last week, we kind of left off right in the middle of uh, a section Paul began at the beginning of chapter 11 with these words, is a sort of desperate pleading. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. But he never really got around to the little foolishness that he was promising us. He got sidetracked. Um, And in the whole first half of the passage, the chapter, verses 1 through 15, leading up to our section today, Paul gives us this long preamble, a kind of introduction, to explain to us why is it that he's going to engage in this foolishness. And Paul says, basically, I am I'm determined that with every ounce of my being, with every effort, I am even willing to go to the point of looking like an utter and complete fool if that's what it takes to convince you that there is no other. There is no other Jesus. There is no other spirit. There is no other gospel. You see, the Corinthians, they were scandalized by the grace and the love that characterized Paul's ministry and his message. They wanted a salvation that they could earn. They wanted one that they could purchase, that was respectable. They were being led astray by false apostles. Paul says, men masquerading about as servants of righteousness who were in fact ministers of Satan. Men who had been preaching week after week and in their words and with their actions, treating Paul with the disdain that you would give an utter and complete fool. So after showing us that everything that he's done in his life and his ministry and his teachings has been for the sake of Christ and has been only done in order to defend the gospel that was entrusted to his care, Paul says, all right, I'll wear the fool's costume if that's what it takes. And Paul, in our section today, begins to prance satirically across the stage. And he says, if I must be a fool, at least can you consider me your fool? (laughs) As we watch his foolish display... I think we're left wondering who the real fool is. So if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let's stand together as we receive the word of God. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, Accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. 
What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would confront each of us in our hearts when we are tempted to become like the Corinthians. God, I pray that you would prevail over weakness, over my weakness, that your word would press deep into the hearts of those who hear it despite my feeble attempts. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes this morning, um, you probably noticed it in the passage. This section breaks down pretty nicely into three little paragraphs. Verses 16 through 21, and then verse 21 through 29, and then verse 30 through 33. And as I was trying to discern and understand what it is that the scriptures are saying this morning, I kept thinking about what Paul was saying about himself which is important. However, I think the point of Paul's words was to make the Corinthians to think about themselves. Paul had poured out his life for these people. He'd ministered to them, we read in the Bible, for a year and a half, Paul says, and I did it as a free gift. I didn't charge you a cent. Faithfully discipling, teaching them the gospel, faithfully doing the works of an apostle in their midst, putting up with their sins, answering their theological questions. Just think about this for a minute. The Corinthians, word for word, received way more scripture from Paul than any of the other churches. First and second Corinthians, 
way more, had all of the advantages. Paul had sacrificed ministry resources and sending his brightest and best to deal with issues in Corinth. He had journeyed out of his way to visit them. He, in fact, as he's writing this letter, is on his way to make another journey to them. Endured all kinds of persecutions and roadblocks to make sure that the people in Corinth heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And still, it's not enough. And still for the Corinthians, it was not enough. They're not satisfied until Paul has completely and utterly debased himself before them. No offense to any clowns in attendance this morning. But it's as if they handed Paul a big curly red wig and a big red red nose and two big old floppy shoes and some oversized pants with overalls. And they said, just one last thing from you, Paul, and then we promise we're going to receive you. Can you go up on the stage and entertain us for a few minutes, you big clown? And as Paul suits up and takes the stage and begins to act and mutter like a complete fool for the Corinthians. We look at this sad display of what the Apostle Paul is willing to do in order to convince us to believe. And the thing that we come away from this chapter realizing is not about Paul, it's about ourselves and it's this. We, we are the fools. We are the fools. For so many reasons. This first section shows us we are the fools. For boasting according to the flesh. The reason that Paul is going through this song and dance is because he knows it's what the Corinthians like. Look at verse 18. Since many have boast according to the flesh, I too will boast for you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. We like to boast in the flesh. We like to talk about the things that we're good at. We like to think that we are great and mighty and worthy of praise because of our talents, because of our money, because of our accomplishments in our career or in our ministry, or because of our influence, or because we're a better Christian, or I'm a better mother, I'm a better husband when I measure up against others. We allow our proud hearts to have full reign. When other people praise us, we politely bow and we say, oh, you're too kind. But inside our hearts, we know I deserve this praise. Look how great I am. Paul, the sad clown, joins us in our boasting. What I'm going to say With this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. What would the Lord say about us clowns boasting in our flesh? The one who knows our frame. Who knows that we are but dust. Who says, as for man, his days are like grass. We are the fools. 
We are the fools for putting up with such abuse. Paul says, do you realize that clowns are running the church? (laughs) But when they put a pie in your face, or when they spray you with confetti, or they drop a big old hammer on your foot, they squirt you in the eye, you put up with their foolishness gladly enough, don't you? Verse 19. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear with it. Someone makes slaves of you or devours you or hoodwinks you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. You're just fine with it. Oh, you want a preacher who's going to enslave you to his personal opinions. Oh, you want a preacher who's just in it to devour all of your money and resources. Oh, you want a preacher who's going to parade around behind the pulpit like a peacock. Oh, you want a shepherd who's going to beat the flock. I didn't realize you were into that kind of thing, Paul says. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak to do that to you. We're the fools for putting up with this abuse while rejecting the man who has demonstrated himself over and over and over again to be only meek and mild and humble and gentle. We readily accept and listen to and applaud men and women who are clamoring in our churches for power and money and esteem. But we make a gentle, kind-hearted, meek shepherd like Paul bend over backwards, dance a jig, and debase himself before we will ever consider the message he has to bring. Number one, we are the fools. As we move into the second paragraph this morning of chapter 11, in verse 21, we find kind of a clown resume. They wanted Paul to list out all of his accomplishments and all the great things that he had done in his life. In the second half of verse 21, Paul continues by saying, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Paul could have gone toe-to-toe with any of these people boasting in the church at Corinth. He has all the pedigree. He has the credentials. He has the education. But the moment that he begins to boast, he says, all right, here's where we're at. Let's do this thing. He starts to boast. This is what rolls out with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. The Corinthians want to hear about a pastor of a megachurch. They want to hear about book deals. They want to hear about speaking engagements at huge packed out arenas. They want to hear about visits to the White House and political influence. Paul pulls the rug out from under them and says, if you think that being the supreme, the superior servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is about comfort and living a comfortable life, he says, then you are certainly a fool. Number two, we are the fools. 
We're the fools for expecting a comfortable life. Are you a servant of Christ, Paul says? I bet you I'm a better one. I just, I just have a feeling I'm a better one. Paul was the most qualified, the most dignified, the most educated, the most righteous Christian who has possibly ever walked the earth. And if this is what he expected, great labors, great imprisonments, countless beatings, many near-death experiences, we are fools to expect different. These super apostles, these celebrity pastors telling the Corinthian church that Christianity, man, it is all about ease. It's all about how Jesus makes your life more prosperous, how he gives you more wealth and health. Have we forgotten what happened to the perfect, righteous, holy, God-pleasing man, Jesus Christ, whenever he came and graced us with his presence on this earth? At the end of his perfect life, the eternal Son of God, the highly exalted King of kings and Lord of lords, was hung on a cross in humiliation and suffering, dying under the eternal wrath of God. Even his garment was stripped from him. He had nothing. You know how valuable a thing is based on how much you're willing to lose to obtain it. Paul is trying to show us here, can you not realize that Jesus Christ is willing to lose everything, even his life, to have you and me? I would be a fool to cling to anything, to comfort, to fame, to ease, to political influence, to even life itself, if it meant I had to let go of Jesus Christ. We are the fools who don't want to let go of this world in order to cling to him. Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from other people, the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger when I go into the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst and without food, in cold and exposure. You know, to be honest with you, the first couple of times I read through this list, I started to feel pretty, pretty bad for myself because I was like, you know what, Paul? I'm, I'm right there with you. Life is tough. I'm struggling, and I start to catalog in my mind all the hard things in my life. You know, I haven't literally been beaten with rods, but, you know, life's been beating me down lately, and work is stressful, and it's hard, you know, family and people, and the people are sinning against me, and blah, blah, blah. On and on in our minds. We often look at this, these kinds of passages and we think of ourselves as Paul. We're the ones suffering. We're the ones with the worst lives who are just grinning and bearing it and everyone else is doing well, but we're just having it so rough. Continually sacrificing, continually pouring out, continually being crucified for others. But I realized something, and it's really bad news for me and for you. We're not Paul. <laughs> We're the Corinthians in this whole scenario. We're the foolish Corinthians. We are the fools with a martyr's complex. Here's Paul, who's actually being stoned. 
Here's Paul who says, no matter where I turn, whether I'm at sea, in the city, in da- whether I'm in the wilderness, it doesn't matter where I go, my life is under constant threat. People are literally trying to kill Paul in every city he goes to. There's almost no skin left on Paul's back from the five times he's been whipped 39 times. Paul says, people see me and they literally go into the road and pick up rocks and sticks and come running at me. Sometimes I have no clothes to wear, no food to eat, no water to drink. I've been shipwrecked three times. We are the fools who want to pretend that our life is even remotely close to the suffering of Paul. And that's not even the point. The point is this. Whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I will willingly, gladly suffer the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If Jesus isn't worth all the suffering in your life, Let go of Him. No one is forcing you to be a Christian. If the suffering isn't worth it, let go. If Jesus is the cause of all the hardship in your life and you don't think it's worth it, you don't think He's worth it, you can quit being a Christian and walk out the back of this door free of your suffering forever. When we look at this man, this beaten, broken, whipped, shipwrecked man named Paul, there's something in him that we just cannot look away. God has put the gospel's value, God has put the value of our Savior Jesus Christ on public display in the man of the Apostle Paul. Look at how much This one man is willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. How much value must the gospel have if Paul has endured this much? The gospel has to be true. No one in their right mind would do all of this, would endure and persevere through this kind of suffering for a lie. We are the fools with the martyr's complex not realizing that whatever suffering has come into our life, whatever God may take from us, is just meant to cause us to hold on to Jesus even more tightly. If you look at this resume of all the things that Paul suffered, I wonder which one you would say is the worst. Which one is the one you say, I could do that one, that one, but not that one. Which one do you think is the worst? And I was reading through it, and it's not necessarily what you would think. And in fact, Paul kind of tucks it at the end of verse 26 there. It's the very last one. Danger from false brothers. You know, it's one thing to beat the body. But Paul's telling us, you know what, false brothers, that, that cuts to the heart. That cuts in a way no sword, spear, or whip could ever reach. We are the fools who have wandered so far astray 
This full morning, we, should, we all need to ask ourselves, am I a false brother? Am I a false sister? Am I just pretending and when things get tough, I'm going to wander away? Think about how far the Corinthians must have strayed that they would require this whipped, beaten, persecuted, downtrodden, poor man to plead for their affection. How could they make Paul, a man who has poured out his own life blood for the church, grovel before them in the dust for their attention? We are the fools who have wandered astray. The question is simply, how far have you wandered, brothers and sisters? We are the fools for ignoring such love. Listen again to verse 28. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? What kind of heart would be willing to bear the burdens of all the churches and to say that anytime someone slips up, I feel it. Anytime someone falls in weakness, it hurts me. Paul wrote to the Colossian churches, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church. Paul recognized that what Jesus was doing to him was providing the churches with a persevering reminder, a visible picture of what Jesus did in suffering and dying for them on the cross. That as Paul in his body walked around and they saw the wounds that he endured for the churches, it was a visible reminder of what Jesus had suffered for them. When they saw Paul's clothing still stained with his own blood from the beating that he received in a previous town, it was supposed to remind them of the Savior who bled and loved them so much that he would give his life to suffer and die under God's wrath for her. And the love of Paul, it drove him to feel constantly anxious for the churches, which we know must have resulted in all kinds of profuse prayers in Paul's prayer closet. Only reminds us of what the writer of Hebrews tells us, that the one who is able to save us to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, always lives to make intercession for them. So as we look at Paul and his constant care and love and the anxiety and the prayers that he profusely pours out for the church, it only reminds us of the perfect intercessor who no matter what is always, whoever lives, it is, is his daily breath, breathing in and out prayers for us. We are the fools who could ignore the love of such a Savior. How can you wander from that kind of a Savior? How can you wander astray? Why will you not come to that kind of a Jesus? He sits in heaven. He's on His throne. And His daily activity, what fills His mind every waking moment is us. How long will you wander from Him? 
Who could requite such abiding, undeserved, humble love as that? Our final paragraph this morning begins in verse 30. And I think you can guess what the final point is going to be. Remember, verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Do you all remember the story when Jesus and his disciples were walking in the way? Jesus hears them. And they're arguing with each other about who is the greatest. And one of them even has the audacity to come up to Jesus and ask him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? And you can just picture him kind of waving his hand to say, which, which among us twelve will you choose? Jesus walks over and he grabs a child. And he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I think Paul took Jesus' words to heart. You want me to boast? I'm only going to tell you more things that make me seem even more weak than you think I already am. Paul's third point this morning. We. We are the fools. We are the fools who boast about strength when it's weakness that shows the power of the gospel. It is the one most broken by the gospel who wins the competition. A fool thinks he is strong before the gospel. You see, the gospel is the good news that even though you were dead, even though you were a heartless rebel, even though you were enslaved to sin, had no power to free yourself, even though there was a debt over you, which you could never pay in an infinite number of lifetimes. Even though you could not save yourself, indeed didn't even think you needed saving, God and His great love with which He loved us sent His Son to humble Himself to serving us by laying down His life on a cross, being mocked and jeered at like a fool before the whole world humbly accepting death and punishment and the wrath of God in our place. But you see, the gospel is only good news to people who are weak enough to receive it. Repentance is not admitting our great strength. Repentance is admitting our great and utter weakness. Faith is the empty hands of a child begging, pleading. We are fools to boast in strength when we stand in the presence of Jesus, our Savior. And finally this morning, we are the fools who do not trust God. Verse 31. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, He knows. He knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Do you know why Paul cites that instance of persecution in Damascus? That was the very first thing that happened to Paul after he became a Christian. Paul's on his way to Damascus. Paul encounters the risen Savior, converted miraculously. He goes into Damascus. He gets baptized. He begins to preach. And immediately, persecution. Immediately from that moment on, Paul's life 
was in threat of death. Constantly. Paul's new life in Christ from beginning to middle to end was one long timeline of trusting that if God didn't protect him, he was dead tomorrow. Paul says, you know what? Even if no one else knows, God knows and I trust him. The Corinthians started down the path with Paul, but when things got tough, when suffering came, you know, they, they no longer trusted God's love. After all, Paul experienced all of his suffering for the sake of Christ. He can still say, God knows, I trust God. Amazing. How many of us, at the first sign of failure, the first horizon of suffering that it might be coming, we quickly turn to some other Christ. We turn to some other spirit, to some other gospel than the one we first believed. We want a Christ who doesn't say, take up your cross and follow me. We want a gospel that doesn't say my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Brothers and sisters, we are the fools. If the gospel of the grace and love of God could sustain Paul in all that he's experienced, what kind of fools wouldn't trust that it could also sustain us? If Paul's love for Jesus only grew in intensity and strength from that first day of persecution in Damascus to its last, can we not trust his love to sustain us through every and any suffering we may encounter? We look at the Apostle Paul and realize the words of Jim Elliot, the martyred missionary to Ecuador, are ever, ever, ever true. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we receive the encouragement of the Apostle Paul, we thank you that he was willing to stoop so low as to serve fools like us. We thank you more than that, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to endure the shame of the cross so that we could be your sheep. We pray that we would give up the folly of clinging to this world so that we could hold on to you with all our might. And Lord Jesus, we know when our faith is weak, we trust that you will hold on to us. In Jesus' name, amen.